Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry. And of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about the John Carpenter 1980 horror film, The Fog. Eleven fifty-five, almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. Five minutes. It'll be the twenty-first of April. It is told by the fishermen and their fathers and grandfathers that when the fog returns to Antonio Bay, the men at the bottom of the sea rise up. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. As you said, it is a 1980 film. It was directed by John Carpenter. And the synopsis is, strange things begin to occur as a tiny California coastal town prepares to commemorate its centenary. Am I pronouncing that right? Inanimate objects spring to life. Reverend Malone, Hal Holbrook, stumbles upon a dark secret about the town's founding. Radio announcer Stevie, Adrian Barbeau, witnesses a mystical fire, and hitchhiker Elizabeth, Jamie Lee Curtis, discovers the mutilated corpse of a fisherman. Then a mysterious iridescent fog de descends on upon the village, and more people start to die. It's not very good synopsis, but not the best. anyway, so yeah, in addition to the people we mentioned, I don't know if I said Janet Lee is in this, John Houseman, Tom Atkins, so it's, it's a pretty star-studded cast. Um, I've seen this movie many times, but this was a first time watch for you, right? It was so a I'm, first time. I'm curious to hear what you thought of it. I loved it. I uh, I loved it's uh, so it feels it's it's well done. It's well shot. It feels like a very small movie. It feels almost like an independent film uh, because they really save their. They they do a lot with a little. Um, they do with creepy lighting and creepy music, and sort of silhouettes in the mist, and you know fog machines, and sound design. They really, I say they. John Carpenter really achieves a uh, you know a terrific fun watch. Um, I love the color in this movie. The color in this movie, I, I'm not a cinematographer myself, so I can't, you know, I can't really get technical about it, but I just thought it looked great. Um, I love that the male leads in this. Um, 
look like adult men that I would recognize from 1980. Like there's not that they're ugly people, but they all don't, they don't all look like magazine models. You know, they just look like dads and guys and people, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, obviously uh, in this. And I guess, I don't know what he did between Halloween and this, but it seems like um, it made me think, oh, I think when he, he sort of discovered Jamie Lee Curtis and was like, I gotta, I gotta use that actor again and again. He did Halloween too, between this and Halloween, which she's in that as well, but she's mostly in a hospital bed (laughs) throughout that movie. Yeah, I thought it was great. And then at the end, they save, it seems like whatever their effects budget was, they save for the sparing effects that we see um, that I think are effective and and look good. But it's really, it's a ghost story. I, I mean, technically zombies sort of like the, 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 I want I want to say like ghost pirates, but they're not. But pirates. they're not. No. They were lepers that were on a ship that sank. So, but they have hooks I, and you know. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of, they're kind of ghost pirates. They're kind of zombie pirates. They're kind of ghost lepers. They're kind of leper pirates. It's just they're gross and they're dead, and they come back in the fog. I, I did, you know, it's not the kind of movie that you stop and think about too much. Because it's all about mood and, you know, kind of tightening the tension. But I did wonder, so there, it's we it opens with a, a ghost story around the campfire and this old guy. Tom Houseman. Yes, is, uh, is, is telling the kids like a hundred years ago tonight. And basically the ship sank and then, you know, it said that a hundred years and that's tonight. Uh, They'll come back looking for the campfire that they saw when they sank in the fog a hundred years ago. Weird stuff happens that night at midnight that at first feels a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, close encounters like electro, yes, you know, um, lights flicker, radio stations zizz out, zizz and zazz out, and car lights go on and off and car horns go off. And so you think, oh, uh, wow. Okay, that's cool. But then other sort of poltergeisty stuff happens. Like there's a woman who sort of hears a dog barking and she wakes up and she goes to see what's making the dog bark. And then the TV is kind of doing a spooky thing on the fritz. We're just going to, you know, she turns and she's- And the chair moves. Then, Then the chair moves. But she's looking at the TV and she's not scared yet. Because she's just like, what's wrong with the TV, right? Mm. And then this easy chair slides about three feet forward into the room, not like attacking or anything. It's just like a ghost shoved it going by or something. And that scares her as it would me if a chair inexplicably moved. So the the supernaturalness of it is very difficult to pin down. And I wonder if you saw a pattern to it because I didn't. I just thought now is the part where creepy stuff happens and it's a whole random bunch of like, what can we do cheap that would be scary and feel supernatural, but not it doesn't all feel necessarily of a single thing. Mm -hmm. But then the night passes or that witching hour passes and everybody the next day sort of scratching their head being like all kinds of weird stuff happened last night. Oh, yeah. Then we there's a 
I guess at is are the fishermen out at sea? Are they killed that night? Does that happen mm-hmm. that night? Okay, that's that night. Yeah. So I might be sort of starting to answer my question. There's guys who are drunk out on a boat, fishing boat, and uh, the fog comes rolling in, and the the dead come out of the fog and kill these three guys, right? And um, and then the fog recedes, and then so we discover later there's like a curse. It happens again the following night, and that's what was a little confusing to me is like. Why why did it stop and then restart? But maybe if maybe if they only have an hour from midnight to 1 a.m., like that's the witching hour. That's mm-hmm. that's when they can manifest themselves. And then the curse was six people, six of them died, or six must die. They mm-hmm. find an old <laughs> sorry, I'm totally rambling. No, 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 that's fine. They find an old journal in the church, and it's the great-grandfather of Hal Holbrook plays the mm. priest, and it's apparently his great-grandfather, and he reads the journal, which spells out their crimes to the letter, where um, there were lepers, and they had a bunch of gold, and they said the lepers could go to the next island over or whatever, and they got in the boat, and then somehow they sunk the boat, or they manipulated the sinking of the boat? I think so, yeah. Killing these dead that have come back and taking all their gold. So they're, they're come back. They want their gold back a, and they, and six must die, whether it makes six people were the original conspirators in the crime or whatever. So they've killed three the night before, or Mm -hmm. did they get anybody else that first night? I I don't think so. So they show up the second night to get the other three people. And we don't, we find this out kind of piecemeal as the movie goes along. And um, yeah, I mean, it's an hour and a half. So, and it, it clips right along. It's 1980. So it's not, you know, the Transformers, mm-hmm. but, it, but it doesn't lie around. Um, like some, some of the films we've seen in the 60s and 70s, they just have their own pace. They're like, oh, this is the five minute scene where the two of them sit side by side on the beach and watch the waves for five minutes. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and modern, you just don't get away with that in modern cinema. This is not one of those things. It, it is a little bit slower paced, but as things start to roll, they quicken. I, I thought it was terrific. I was surprised I hadn't seen this before, actually. They did do, they remade it. And the remake is, I, I've, I saw the remake in the theater, have not seen it since then. And my... I have almost no memory of it other than thinking it was terrible because there's a lot of CGI in it, you know, in 2005 CGI was not great, you know? So yeah, I, I've thought about watching it again at some point to see if, but I, you know, almost universally see, people seem to think it was awful. So. Well, one of the things that I really loved about this one was, I mean, again, blah, 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 practical, 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 but, there isn't CGI in it. They might. So at the end, and if you're able to see my image, if you're not just listening to the podcast, if you're watching this on YouTube or what have you behind me, you can see some of the ghosts. They have glowing eyes. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if that was something that they had done later in post or if they had just rigged up some little, you know, light system that the people, because you never really see 
all you see is their silhouette. So the idea of them being rotting and underwater and is mostly done in silhouette. And you see a, a couple of hands kind of coming around door frames and things like that. But there's one they reveal the big gold cro cross at the end. Yeah. There's guy. He's one the reveal guy. where you see the sort of side of his head and it's all green and maggoty. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty good. But uh for the most part, you're they're just sort of specters in the fog. Um, but the fog is all practical. You know, the fog's not CGI. They're they're blowing the fog around. There's a couple of scenes that looks like when it's receding that they're just running the same running it backwards. backwards. Mm -hmm. But you know, they've got lights in the fog, and they're it's very creative and it's super creepy and moody. Um, and they, they do a great job of shooting this little sleepy California um, coastal town as being, you know, idyllic to the point of boring, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and juxtaposing that the daytime of like, oh, nothing ever happens here with night. We're like, oh, God, the dead have come back. You know, mm -hmm. there's nobody else in the movie. Right. There's there's such a so small, small cast. cast. But there's times where I'm like, run for the church, and it's just these four. Like, mm -hmm. where's the rest of the town? She's saying it on the radio. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's There are times when we're moving through the town, and the, the the notable, the lack of other extras and everything else seems really, seemed remarkable to me. Did you did you notice that at all? Like, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Town of five people. Um, but I like that intimacy of it. You know, it's... yeah. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that makes it feel like a small movie. It doesn't it's not, it's not that it ruins the movie. It just mm -hmm. you notice you're like where is where are the other people? Um, yeah. Uh, how many times have you seen this? I don't know, a lot. I mean, I I saw this the first time I'd say I was probably in high school. There's quite a few of these old horror movies that we we would go to see my grandmother who lived in a little West Virginia town. And uh, she lit her house wasn't spooky, but the location of her house was kind of spooky. It was up on this hill and sort of out in the country. And so, you know, they would show a lot of these movies like late at night on Saturday night. And when my the rest of my family would fall asleep, I would stay up and watch these things. And, and I, I remember pretty vividly watching this at my grandmother's house. And, you know, I was probably 14 or 15, something like that. And so, and I've always loved it ever since and watched it a bunch of times. I don't know how many times, but uh, so these episodes are really fun for me to, uh, you know, take these movies that I, you know, I, I, I would never be able to look at this too objectively because I have the nostalgia aspect of it, but it's fun to, you know, kind of introduce you to some of these movies that you haven't seen. Yeah. And then, and then when you like it too, that's really, it's cool that it, you know, can hold up for an adult, you know, 40 years after it was made. But uh, like you said, the, the big thing about this film, and I think for uh, the original Halloween, this and the thing for me are kind of a Holy Trinity of, of Carpenter films. And even though they're very different movies, I think what connects them is they're so atmospheric. And I mean, Carpenter in his prime, I think was just a master of atmosphere. 
And that's something that I think is is a bit of a lost art. You know, these these movies, there's not a lot of jump scares in them or not a now you have the thing is very different in that this movie you don't really see anything like like you said everything's in the you know shadow it is super effective whereas the thing you're seeing everything you know it's these right. crazy effects but still you have great atmosphere in that um and his director of photography for all of these films is is named Dean Cundy and he went on to be a a big time cinematographer he shot Jurassic Park and Apollo 13 and who framed Roger Rabbit and like a bunch of bunch of big movies. Um, but I think, you know, he helped to give Carpenter at that time as a signature look, they shot uh, two, three, five to one aspect ratio, which I don't think there's a lot of films that shoot in that. It's a pretty wide ratio as I understand. Yeah. And the, you know, there's scenes in this where, uh, Adrian Barbeau, so she uh, has her own radio station in this lighthouse and there's scenes of her driving around, driving there. And it's just, it's really wide and just looks beautiful, I think. And I I feel like in, once uh, Cundy went on to do other things, I think that hurt Carpenter a bit later on because I, mm -hmm. I don't think his later films have Got quite the, the look of these. You know, you can just see it. And even Halloween 3 which um, was not a film that uh, Carpenter directed. He produced it. Uh, it was a different director, but Dean Cundy shot that one as well. So it just looks like a John Carpenter movie. Yeah. But you, well, know, you can imagine, you can imagine the director cinematographer relationship where he says, you know, so here's what I want this. And then she comes into the frame and then I really want to feel the, you know, the calm before the storm or whatever. And then the cinematographer who is simpatico with the director being like, right. yeah, okay, yeah, I know what to, you know, something like that and sets up the cameras. They all oh, perfect, perfect. You know? Mm -hmm. So you get the benefit of the vision and the eyes. Yeah. And, uh, and those, those two things can be so complimentary when a director and a cinematographer jive and trust each other because, the director can have a good idea and the cinematographer would be like, yeah, that's good. But what do you think of this and make an adjustment as, and the director could be like, Oh, that's even better. You know? Yeah. Um, and obviously, I mean, you know, uh, Spielberg hired him for Jurassic park and I'm sure Spielberg could have gotten any, you know, DP or cinematographer he wanted, but, but so I think that's a big aspect with this film. And also you have, uh, you know, we talked about John Houseman. Adrian Barbeau has this great voice, and she's she's um, you know, having her radio broadcast throughout the movie, and that just reminds me of you know, I don't know if this is something that exists to the same degree now, but just driving late at night, and especially if you're driving by yourself and you have the radio on just to keep you awake, you yes. know. Uh, and well, then and you... it's a great performance too because you know there's such an intimacy to her voiceover, yeah. and she really is just me. She doesn't have any other staff, and she only starts her show from I think she starts at six p.m. and goes till one a.m. But it's always like I'll be here with you, you know, if you're if you're up late, and you know, 
out doing something or driving around on the radio, I'll I'll be here with you. You know, she just has that kind calming. of sultry voice. You know? Yes, yes. Um, and then you have, uh, like you said, Tom Atkins is this kind of this guy. And I've always thought it's funny. I don't know exactly what their ages were, but he, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is a is a hitchhiker, and she's got to be like twenty two or something. And he picks her up, and like immediately they're in bed together. You know, and it not that he's like you said, like an ugly guy, but he just looks like a dad. I would you love know? you to look up how old oh. he was when they shot this film, because yeah. to me, he looks about forty five. Yeah, and you. I bet he's thirty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You continue talking and I will. I remember I, I remember looking back at, at the high school yearbooks when uh, from. So, you you know, Jay Johnson, his mother. Yeah, yeah. Um, had some old high school yearbooks from the 70s. Uh, yeah, he's a year older than my dad. Sorry. Go and, ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and I remember looking at the senior class in these. Well, I don't. Maybe I'm confusing two stories. Anyway, I remember looking at the our high school's yearbooks from you know when we were little little kids, the early '70s, and all of the seniors had, you know, kind of collar length, uh, hair, and and many many of them had mustaches, and they were wearing <laughs> coats and ties in their in their senior picture, and I just thought, you know, these guys. <laughs> These guys were 18. Mm -hmm. They looked like 40-year-old used car salesmen. Like they just looked so much older than I would have been at the time, which was the age that they were. And I was like, I don't think I look 40, you know, and it's not just the mustache. Uh, but I think that's kind of a fun thing about watching some of these old movies is that... Um, Men in particular seem to get to their kind of what I think of as their adult looking age. Some some actors more than others, like um Walter Matthau. You know, mm -hmm. even when you see young pictures of Walter Matthau, he more or less looks like Walter Matthau. You know, mm -hmm. he looked the same for the better part of you know. 30 years, looked more or less like the same adult man, you know, it didn't. Until until you get start to get really old, until you start to look at like old Walter Matthau and he plays grandpa or something like that. But for the huge stretch of the bulk of his career, he just played adult male. <laughs> you yeah. know? Oh yeah. Um, along those I'll I'll tell you here in just a minute what their ages were, but along those lines, I was at my sister's house a few nights ago and we randomly so I've talked a few times about the Shutter app, and they um they have live channels on there where it, so it can just be like what TV, you know, used to be. I mean, I guess TV still exists in, in that form, but we, I was there and we, we watched something. I forget what, it, even what it was that we watched at this point, but uh, another Jamie Lee Curtis movie prom night came up and it was so funny. We were remarking because it's all they're in high school and it's all these high school girls and they're all dressed like they're secretaries at an office or something. I mean, this is really weird because I was just like, did high school girls dress that way? But they just look like they're 25 or 30 years old, you know, in these just, you know, skirts and like sweaters that they just look like they're going to go and work in an office. I don't know. It's funny. Well, but and it's weird seeing someone hitchhike too. 
right? Oh, so she's yeah. out hitchhiking, and he's just driving along. There's a woman standing on the side of the road with her thumb out, and he pulls over. She just gets in. She, I don't. She doesn't even say thanks. She just she just gets in. Just how far are you going? <laughs> the other side of town. And he's drinking up. a Budweiser. Yeah, and he offers her a sip just of a it. very. He's yeah. like, you want a sip? And she's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, <laughs> but it's just such a very beverages. like such a very 70s early 80s thing to i can remember and you know like when i was a kid my dad like driving around with a beer in the in the car you know like in the late 70s um not like he was drunk or anything but just like drinking a beer you know and i don't think the police would have done anything back then i think it's just been like you know uh but there's a great line where she says, can I ask you a question? And he's like, sure. And she goes, are you weird? And, you know, you're thinking like, does she think he's going to be a a serial killer or something? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm weird. And she goes, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I rode with this other guy and he was so boring. He was so, so normal. It was Yeah, so normal and so boring. But um, yeah, so, uh, you know, there are all these great performances in this. And, you know, you have Hal Holbrook, who I just love Hal Holbrook. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is very much and, and I always wonder with these kind of films, if a teenager today watched this, what they would think of this. And I don't know. But if they did, this is a great um, kind of gateway horror film because it's very. This is very tame. Uh, right. They actually, with with some of what you were talking about earlier, with the um, the the you know how they the deaths occur, they did some reshoots for this because it was um, with the test audiences they found it not scary enough, so they went back in and the I don't know if the entire scene was shot later, but the the parts where the uh, the guys on the boat are killed, yeah, they made that a little bit gorier than what yeah, it yeah. initially was, and even then, it's still you. I don't think there's any blood. At no, this you point. don't see it, but there is sound yeah. design. You see the knife go, you know, as he's stabbing yeah. out the eyes. So it's not POV of the victim, but it's like over the victim's shoulder, and and you don't see the silhouette. So you just see the knife sort of stabbing just past camera and hearing that sort of sickening. Yeah. But it was jarring. I mean, I remember being, yikes, you know, I'm going to have nightmares about it. The other scene I liked is when they climb up, she gets to the very top of the lighthouse. Yeah. And it's slippery. And she has these sort of 70s wooden soled kind of high heeled uh, slip on, you know, clog boots or whatever. And she's trying to scramble up this metal roof, this sloped metal roof as these things climb the ladder behind her. And I thought that was... That was pretty good too. Um, I yeah, makes sure. me think of Creep Show, you know, where the, mm -hmm. the guy well, because you, you have Adrian Barbeau in that, mm -hmm. and you have Hal Holbrook and Creep Show, you know. Yeah, but it's the same kind of same kind of vibe. And it just makes me. I'm trying to think of other movies in which I've seen the drowned dead, right? Because there's mm -hmm. zombies, but I don't, I don't, you know, and they sort of shamble along like zombies. And they're draped in seaweed often, and they're sort of dripping. But I don't remember a lot of instances of 
the sort of zombie movie or the ghost movie where the drowned dead, there's specifically people who have died underwater. I can remember Creepshow and, and then there's this one. And I suppose Pirates of the Caribbean does sort of ghost pirates yeah. underwater some. But it, it seems like it's like it's a pretty chilling motif. And I'm trying to think of other instances. I don't I don't remember seeing it an awful lot. There is a Peter Cushing film. And while you're talking, I'm going to see if I can because I can't recall the name of it. Uh, do, 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 do. Called Shockwaves from 1977. And it is a uh, Nazi zombie movie, which I've never actually seen. But I don't know if this is the whole, um, you know, if this isn't the, it also has John Carradine in it. I don't know if this is the entirety of the film, but there are, I know there's a scene where these Nazi zombies rise up out of the water. That's pretty effective. I'll have to um, check that out. Yeah, yeah. That I I don't think I've ever seen it, but um, it, it, I think it's a pretty cheap, you know, pretty cheap movie. But um, so yeah. Another thing that strikes me with this film is, and part of why I think I've seen it so many times is even it takes place in April, but it feels like fall. And this is just a great movie to me when it starts getting, you know, and where I am in West Virginia and where you are in Massachusetts, it started just here in the last week. It started to get really crisp and chilly. And then we're going to have, it's going to warm up. It's going to be in the seventies this weekend. But uh, you know, this movie feels so feels so much like a fall setting, even though it's April. And also it's in Northern California but there's a lot of this, so many of these seaside towns that we've seen in films. I think maybe a lot of this you can attribute to Stephen King, but you think of New England and except for the scenes where they're driving around and it's obviously California, this could take place in New England. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the mistiness. Yeah, it could. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just was I was thinking there's a there's another scene I like where they find one of the dead men, uh, the one of the killed sailors on the boat the following day and they take him back to the hospital and it's Jamie Lee Curtis and the other guy and they he knows the. Uh, he knows the mortician or, or the doctor at the hospital who's examined the mm -hmm. body. And, and they're out in the hall and he's like, I'm telling you, it's like this guy has been underwater for a month, you know? Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, Jamie Lee Curtis is alone in the room with the corpse on the table covered with the sheet. And it's, I mean, it's just a standard scene where, mm -hmm. you know, she's in the foreground kind of looking out the window and we're in the window and we see the body in the background and you just know that body's going to start to move and it does. And it's just such a well done scene where it just sort of silently sits up off the table and picks up a scalpel. And then you, you know, and then, the, then you, the camera is underneath the table where you see the legs swing over and come down mm -hmm. and she's, it, she's in the, in the background by the window, right? The reverse shot. So great. Yeah. 
Um, so there's a number, there's a number. And when they're in the church and the things come into the church, I think that's, that's a good scene too. There's a lot to love in this movie. This would be another fun one to see with a group of people too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, you see this and this is one. Um, so I'm trying to think I have not, I've not seen the original Halloween in the theater. Um, I actually tried a few months ago and that fell through. Um, but yeah, the fog boy, I've seen the thing actually saw that in Salem, Massachusetts at a, at a kind of a festival thing. That was amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would love to see the fog, you know, in a theater with people who are fans of it. That would be so much fun. Yeah. I think, um, as, as we talk about this, it's like I'm starting to form a list in the back of my mind of the ones that I have this feeling about, because I think it would be fun to organize screenings in this, the venues around town here. Yeah. And take some of the, I mean, I'm going to keep doing the film festival, but take some of the curatorial burden off of myself of it needing to be uh, independent and local and pair well with other local independent, right? And just be like, well, for this or that brewery, if we want to do a movie night, this this is a list of humdingers. It it helps that they're kind of short and sweet too. I mean, an hour yeah. and a half is is perfect uh, for a movie. You don't really want the especially crap. horror movies, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's not it's not the kind of thing that you feel like you can't get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of. But it's also not you're not checking your watch and wanting to go outside and like see if you got any texts, you know, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's good stuff. Uh, Star Crash, it was definitely Ooh. one that I want to screen. Yeah, but I think this is one that it would be great to screen, too. Yeah. You know, when the pandemic started and they weren't making new movies, uh theaters were you know it's just kind of like what are we going to do and they started showing old stuff which to me was fantastic wonderful uh, yeah yeah i went to see uh which i actually saw it when i was a kid in the theater so it wasn't one that i had had not seen before but i went to see uh ghostbusters the original ghostbusters and you know there's just even something if you've seen it 30 times on TV or on DVD or whatever there it's uh, it's like I saw the shining maybe six or seven years ago on the big screen. And I, and I don't, I mean, I've seen, I don't know how many times I've, I've watched yeah. the shining, but, but I noticed things that I had oh, never yeah. seen before. Oh, Same yeah. thing with jaws. I saw one of the, one of the anniversary screenings of jaws and it was, it's almost like seeing it for the first time. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's so different, so much yeah. different of an experience, you know? And I think the very best directors somehow have a sense of both size screens, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're shooting it uh, maybe uh, up until very recently when streamers started and it, it was never expected to be shown in a theater. But you're shooting it, trying to open, trying to have a big opening weekend, and then hopefully having subsequent big weekends um, 
on the big screen. And then you know that the follow through after the people stop buying tickets to come see it in person, the follow through is how well it does on the smaller screens. And look, even if you've got an 80 inch screen TV, it's not the same as a movie. It's not, it's just not your brain kind of adjusts to it, but then you go see it in full, like a full size giant theater the expressions you catch all the little micro things that go on around the actor's eyes and at the corners of their mouths. And so much more comes through on a screen that size. And there's just so much more detail. I think the very best directors have a sense that like, this needs to be great on VHS too. So I Mm -hmm. am going to paint big, but in the back of my mind, I always have to be remembering, like, I can't catch detail so fine that the story hinges on it and it gets lost in the translation to, you know, I wasn't going to say yeah. yes, but about 4.3 or four, four to three exactly. size, you know, exactly. And I think, I think they also think, you know, uh, you know, God forbid somebody puts pan and scan on this, but there's got to be some version of this that'll work on a square box. That's not so much the issue anymore. The last time I've seen a truly square TV is uh, probably before 2000. I, you know. Oh, yeah. People have rectangular shaped screens now. And of course, now you have directors that are thinking, okay, people are going to watch this on their phone, you know. True. Um, yeah, true. So, um, so, yeah. Anyway. I, I loved it. Thank you for recommending. Oh, that's great. I was yeah. delighted. Yeah. I suspected you, you know would. I would have been a horror guy. I, I know, wanted yeah. more. I wanted more Dead Pirates. Like, I really wanted a reveal. I really yeah. wanted him to step forward into the light. So we really got to look at that. And I was just expecting, you know, prosthetic makeup. Mm-hmm. Like we see in so many of those other 80 movies. I just think they maybe didn't even have the budget for that. What was the they budget? May not, they may not have, but it's, uh, you know, that just keeping them in the, in the shadows is so eerie. It's effective. You know, this isn't a terrifying film by any means, but it's spooky. Yeah. And I, I think keeping them in the shadows also. And they don't speak. They're it completely makes, silent. It know. makes the movie not, it's, they're not characters in the movie. They're just the fulfillment of the prophecy, mm-hmm. right? They're not the vengeful dead. They are the promised dead, right? This is the just the fulfillment of the curse. And they're not there to torment or torture. They just want the gold back and they want their pound of flesh. And they exact that. And then the movie's over. Mm-hmm. And I really like that because I think so often it's like they turn, you need an antagonist and it's like, oh, well, the captain ghost is played by, you know, Jeffrey Rush or somebody. And it's mm-hmm. like, he's got lines and he's got an ax to grind and you, you, I get it. I get it. But I, I thought this was nice because it's a, just, just a ghost story where it's not like the ghosts themselves are just this kind of natural force. They're not characters. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like yeah. agents of death. I, I really liked it. You just don't, you don't see that much anymore. No, no. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I think 
of, and I, this probably has a lot to do with the fact of just when we grew up, but I think you were talking about the sixties and seventies movies feeling so slow and the eighties to me feel like the beginning of, of modern filmmaking. I mean, there's certainly some, some differences, but it's one of the things to me that is a little bit strange about all the remakes that we see because it's never, you know, it's not like the original King Kong where you say, okay, we can remake King Kong today because the effects have just progressed, even though it's a classic film and all that, but the, the effects have just progressed to a degree that we can just do so much better than that. But to me, when you remake something like the fog from 1980, it feels like you're just, you're just putting, uh, it's almost like a, a Broadway play and then the off Broadway version. It's the same thing, right. more or less, with right. just different people in the costumes. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's not like the the 80s. When you watch an 80s film, you think like, oh, wow, that that's 100 years ago. You know, and, and, and I mean, I'm looking at it through my eyes of, of somebody who grew up in that time frame. But, you know, I think there's a reason why even younger people are still interested in a lot of these 80s films, because it there i don't know why it is but it I, it doesn't seem like there have been gigantic leaps in um technology outside of the cgi stuff does that make sense it does i i think i think that the uh, cgi the the i i would think that the the danger of cgi is that you get lazy mm -hmm. oh yeah and you go, oh, we'll just fix it. We'll fix it in post. Or or I don't even know what the monster is going to look like because that's not even my job. Like there's a whole CGI department that the studio is paying that's going to design this. I mean, they'll show me pictures of it. But, I, you know, the actors may be seeing some mock-ups and a picture of this thing. And, they, and then the actor is standing there in a wetsuit with ping pong balls all over it looking at a pole with a tennis ball on it. And that's the center of focus of this monster but and and actors do a great job with that they use their imaginations but it's like we talk about building the sets it's mm -hmm. just when you're actually wearing the costume and you're standing in the room you don't have to imagine those things like there's just that wall is 20 feet high and it's 30 feet away and your voice does a certain thing when it bounces off of it and your awareness of the other actors in proximity to that space that you don't even doesn't even occur to you in live theater because you're there too and it's how your body is experiencing it too but i think it really comes through on camera and i think that uh villeneuve and and all of the other people that say oh well you know if we can let's build as much of these sets practically so we can we can literally live and play and inhabit this world i think that really pays dividends on screen as an audience member i just go there yeah much more easily and i know if you're going to show a big monster they're going to be like oh it'll be great because we can show the whole monster but as good as cgi looks it still doesn't look solid somehow you know i mean the dragons there's... in 
the the uh, Game of Thrones Game of Thrones reboot that look great. That's they look great. The design looks great, but the only time you get any real proximity alert from those things is when the dragon more or less eclipses any open screen behind it, like. Mm-hmm. Where where it's like you're you're over the shoulder and the dragon is that close and that's the only time you start to feel like, whoa that thing is huge you know, so like we're like you're talking about atmosphere uh, one of the things I and we keep talking about Denny Villeneuve is um he does a fantastic job of scale, mm-hmm. so you you could be watching one of those movies and you really feel like you're up on the top story of the palace in dune you're looking down on the shipyards that are being bombed and you get a visceral sense of the scope of that attack um as opposed to it being like in a video game where you see a cut scene and it the design of it looks really wow that's really cool oh those ships are cool i like those bombs look cool but you're not feeling like you're in it right mm-hmm. anyway i'm sorry i'm rambling no, no, that, there's a, along those lines, there's a super effective shot in this film where we've talked about where the guys are, are in the, on the first night are out in this boat. You know, these guys are out in a fishing boat and they're drunk and they see the fog bank roll in. And then you see, and I want to say it's a pirate ship, but like, like you said, they're not pirates. Uh, but, but it's a hundred year old ship. It's I mean... a hundred year old ship. And you see the ship, you know, floating by like and right off this, right off the starboard side, like exactly. Reach out, touch yeah. it. And this, you know, when they filmed this, they weren't out on the ocean. This was on a set somewhere, but it's so, and you know, I'm sure they just built the, the top part of the ship, you know, it wasn't like they built an entire, yeah, and it was on wheels and then they fogged everything up, but it but looks it amazing. Just, it looks so ominous and it's just for five seconds or something, but in a movie now, it would have been CGI. They probably would have shown this entire giant ship and it would have looked fake. You know, it, it wouldn't, it's just so effective that real ship being there or real pieces of a ship, um, you know, and if Carpenter had had the technology at the time, he may have shown these zombie people and they would have flown around and, you know, it would have been, you right. Know, well, maybe I mean, if Spielberg had had the technology at the time, maybe Jaws would have shown us a lot more of the shark. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's one of my favorite things about Jaws is you don't really see much of the shark. There's a couple exactly. of, you know, sort of, you know, close up shots of the shark near the end. But it's like Alien. You don't see much of the alien in Alien. But yeah. your imagination makes it a lot scarier for having gotten glimpses of the proverbial elephant. You're like, well, what is it? You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And you know, you have those, even though some of the movies are good, but you have the newer ones, especially I think of alien covenant where they're CGI aliens and they're just not as effective. Right. I agree. Quite agree. Um, so, I wanted to talk. I don't know if you have you seen anything else recently, anything new or no, I've been I've got all this ongoing work stuff has been keeping me kind of swamped. So I've just been watching our stuff and then some TV. I mean, I've been watching the Game of Thrones reboot. And um, are you still liking that? I am. I miss I miss, you know, the first three episodes have these young actors playing um, 
Raina and and um, Alicent. I, I don't remember the names actually. I'm sort of ashamed to say, but oh, that's okay. they replace as the as the characters grow up, they replace those two actors with literally older performers, and they're good too. But what really sunk its hook in me in that for, was those two younger actors that got replaced. Hmm. It's it's good. I mean, the pacing of it it moves it makes these sort of leaps through time, you know? So it's like each episode is like, Oh, I think it feels like we skipped two chapters forward, you know, and it's mm -hmm. the same people and you put it together, but I can't, sorry, I'm getting a call. Um, anyway, uh, I, have you been watching any other stuff or? Well, so it relates to some of our conversation tonight in a couple of different ways. I went to see Halloween Ends this uh -huh. week. And so the first thing that I'll say is relating to the, the movie going experience. I had the the downside of seeing movies in a theater. So we go in, it's a, we went on a Tuesday. So there's this theater right next to my work that has discount, you know, Tuesday night. So um, I've been going if there's something I want to see a lot of times I'll go on Tuesday. So there's this group of probably like seven or eight high school kids uh, across the aisle from us. And, you know, they're being loud and talking and everything. And we get several uh, minutes into the film and then they start throwing candy and they're throwing candy. Like, so we hear this, you know, like, like something and first we thought it was on the screen and then it happens again. And we realize all oh, these kids are throwing candy at us. So we yell at them and then we go and get the manager and we're like, Hey, these, you know, and we're expecting him to kick these kids out. And he didn't, he just, he just came and said something to him and then left and the kids continue to be jerks. And so we stuck around for another 15 or 20 minutes and they were just finally like, we're not going to put up with this. So we went and, and the guy was very apologetic, you know, and all that, but he gave us our money back, but it, um, I'm sorry, I'm not doing my job. Yeah, he didn't. And he said, he, you know, we're like, we thought you were going to throw them out because they were, they weren't just talking. Oh yes, sir. Them. But, but I'm a coward. Said, yeah. That's pretty much what it, what it came down to. And it's funny because I've had, that's only the kind of the, you know, and I've had, there's times when you go to the theater and people are talking and you just, you just put up with it, but probably, I mean, this has been almost 15 years or so ago. I went to a movie and uh, there's three, they were adults, like people probably in their thirties, just sitting there having a conversation, like not even looking at the screen. And I, I don't know why people do that. Like why, you know, you can go and sit in a restaurant and talk. They're not going to do it, you know, or sit in a food court or whatever. But why go to a movie, pay for it, and just sit there and talk? So anyway, at that film, I went and got the man, or I don't know if it was a manager, but it's like this 16-year-old kid, and I thought, they're not going to do anything. And they made him leave. And on the way out, one of one of the people, it was a guy and, and two girls, and, and one of them says, uh, sorry, we ruined your movie. And it's like, you know, why are you in the theater? Right. To, you know, anyway, so it's it they did a day and date release with halloween ends in the theater and also on one of the streaming services so we just we went home watched it on the streaming thing but this the halloween movies for me you have the original halloween that's a great film they kind of caught a lot of lightning in a bottle 
and then it's been a bunch of un it, it would have been as great as this one movie right they made a bunch of un unnecessary sequels that have ranged from mediocre to horrible um so these new they made a new trilogy same director who's named david gordon green directed all three of them and then surprisingly danny mcbride uh co-wrote all of these films mm. the first one was okay the second one was terrible and so i went into this one with very low expectations and it's it's been really interesting because um they i don't want to spoil the movie since it's so brand new but they introduce a new character and the movie is all about him and it's with Michael Myers sort of in the background and Jamie Lee Curtis. And then at the end, they have their showdown, you know, that everybody's waiting for. But you very much get the feeling that the director, it was kind of like, this was the story that he wanted to tell. And he didn't really care about Michael Myers, Jamie Lee Curtis, which is what kind of the diehard fans wanted to see. It's It reminded me in some ways of the Joker movie that, you know, could have been about just any vigilante uh, but because of the Joker was, you know, tied to it, then it was a billion dollar movie. You take yeah. the Joker out of it, do the exact same movie. Right. But it's not the Joker and it makes $10 million or whatever, you know, not, I'm not, you know, saying anything about the, the uh, quality of the film, but with this, it was just, it was stunning how the cinematography between this and the other two, it was just like a different director so much more cinematic and almost like a you know more like an indie film yeah and actually a very interesting story and then at the end it's like oh yeah and we got to have this showdown right. between michael myers and which was the least interesting part of the movie uh so i really enjoyed it having hated this previous one and thinking the first one was just okay but it's been incredibly controversial online because you had the people that just wanted to see a slasher movie and just wanted to see, you know, I guess 90 minutes of Michael Myers killing people and, uh, you know, fighting Jamie Lee Curtis. And and that was not what they got. So and it's been funny because there's a petition online to to redo the movie. <laughs> you know? right. It's been it's been people are comparing it to, uh, you know, even though it's very different films but the reaction that people had to the last Jedi where there were just oh, so right. many people, you know, who were mad about that. And so right. I don't know. So it was a movie that I went into just with the lowest of ex expectations. I thought this was going to be terrible. And I actually really enjoyed it. Great. Oh, so, cool. But I'm unlikely to see it, but yeah, this is it. It's one of these things where, you know, I would not subject you to, cause you definitely would not like the first two films in this. Um, but this third one, I think you would actually kind of like, because it's, it's, it's kind of a drama, um, you know, basically I'll just, this is, I'll say spoiler alert, but the movie opens and this, this guy's name is Corey. He's 20 years, 21 years old and he's babysitting these, this couple hires him to babysit their son and the son is a brat. And he locks Corey in this upstairs bedroom and Corey's trying to get out. And the kid's saying, Michael Myers is going to come and get you. And he starts kicking the door to 
to bust out and he kicks the door and the kid is standing in front of it and the door hits him and knocks him over a railing and he falls and breaks his neck and dies just as the parents are getting home. <laughs> Yikes. So then he becomes this kind of outcast. He doesn't go to prison or anything. I mean, I guess they, they don't really show you exactly what happens, but it, you know, presumably it's just viewed as an accident, but the people in the town look at him as just this kid who, you know, killed this child. Right. And he's kind of bullied by people and picked on and all of this. And he encounters Michael Myers sort of by accident. And Michael Myers doesn't kill him. He just lets him go. But the, it's almost like he's kind of, they don't really explain it, but it's almost sort of like he's possessed by Michael Myers or something. And he starts killing people. And, um, you know, it's kind of this study about, again, it's not what people want. You know, they just want Michael Myers going around stabbing people. Right. But it's basically about kind of uh, uh, grief and suffering and death kind of consuming a town because so many people have been killed by this, by Michael Myers. And now this guy's killing people. And, uh, and that's basically what the story is. Um, and it's so much more interesting than just, right. you know, there's just not a lot to just Michael Myers going around stabbing people. It's worse so. than uh, murder. She wrote the sleepy new England town. Where oh yeah. And the thing that's hilarious week. <laughs> is Jamie Lee Curtis has stayed there for 40 plus years. You would not stay in that oh, town. You would not. And the, you know, it's Halloween again and they're decorating in the town for Halloween. Right. And it's Yay. like, you would, you would just ban Halloween if like That's just right. dozens of people had been murdered, you know, every Halloween. Every Halloween would be like the purge. You just yeah. pull down the roll, you know, you'd lock yourself in your homes. And it's, you know, suspension of disbelief. I, I get all that. But still, sure. it's very ser- silly that you wouldn't just be like, OK, I'm I'm leaving. I'm sure. not going to stay here anymore. So. <laughs> so anyway, that was Halloween ends. Um. Thank you for sharing that. Um, do you have a sense of what you'd like to watch for next time? We talked about the original Clash of the Titans. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. I think that'll be a lot of fun. That's great. It is a lot of fun. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, join us next time as we talk about the original Clash of the Titans. And this is the Harryhausen animation. I don't remember what year it was, but... 81 or 80 yeah. sometime around there. Did you ever see the remake? I think I did with Liam Neeson. Yeah. Yeah. Release the Kraken. I literally forget it. Yeah. It was awful. Yeah. I, I forget it, which is never a great sign in a movie. No. So this one is what spawned the imitator. And we're going to watch that for next time. Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That's our handle. We're on the socials. We're on YouTube. We're in your podcast app. Uh, like us, subscribe us, leave us a comment, engage, engage. Um, let us know, you know, what you think, what you're thinking. Make a suggestion. Make a nice comment. We like all of this, all of the above. And um, yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Um, that's that's about it from my end. Do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, I don't think it. So you still haven't watched the Andor show, have you? No, no, I haven't either. I was reading that the 
ratings are not very like critics like it, but it's mm. way less viewership than the other I Star just, Wars shows. And it's just like, I don't think people care about this. Feel the tug to watch it. I, no. I, again, I think I have, I've got Star Wars fatigue at this point, you know? Yeah. So maybe one day I'll come back. I mean, it's not that I think it's not good. I'm just as good as the other stuff. Probably. I just, you know, Kenobi was like, Kenobi was okay. There, were, I enjoyed his performance, and I liked seeing Darth Vader again. And I watched it. Yeah, but I wasn't like, oh man, I can't wait for Kenobi this week. You know, so I got through that one. I'm kind of like, yeah, okay. And then they're like, next time, Andor. And I'm going, okay. Well. I've only felt that way about the Mandalorian. Once the Mandalorian comes back, I'll, I'm there. But yeah, you know. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's there's no shortage of new content being churned out from the That's left, sure. right, and center. So, And some of it's good at times. Yeah, some of it is. But I'll tell you what is definitely good is Clash of the Titans. Yes. So um, treat yourself and watch that with us and join us for our conversation presumably about it. it's available to stream i hope so i think I it is let me do a quickity yeah. quack, quick quack just a little searchy magoo i could not find the fog anywhere for free it was had to rent it but the print so is really good yeah that's another thing i think with the 80s films when you see them in 4k at times they just look like they're they were shot a week ago yeah so here's my trick is i always just type into google watch name of movie online so i type in watch clash of of the titans online and then it gives i get this little grid that says available on netflix subscription hbo max subscription uh you can rent it from prime you can rent it from voodoo or apple tv or youtube or google play or redbox Nice. So you want to pay four bucks and you're not a subscriber to Netflix or HBO Max? Four bucks and you can watch Clash of the Titans. But if you happen to subscribe to Netflix or HBO, um, looks like it's currently on there. So, yay. Excellent. I like that. Free is good. Yeah, free is good for me as well. Minimize that. All right. Well, okay. then if you have nothing else to add. I don't think so. Chris Huddleston and Chris Ferry will talk to you all next week, baby. <laughs> Bye.